The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. Will April's red-hot start roll on? Some new stats saying it should, but futures, they're telling a different story. London calling. Small business in England finally allowed to reopen. Juliana Tatabaum is live, out and about, brings you a look at a big day in the UK. Fed Chair Jay Powell speaking out about the Archegos collapse for the first time on 60 Minutes last night. CEOs as political advocates. More C-suite executives adding their names to push back on Georgia's voting law and others like it being considered. A history in Augusta as Japan's Hideki Matsuyama becomes the first Japanese player to take the green jacket at the Masters. It is Monday, April 12th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Good to be back with you after a week off. Thanks for joining us on this Monday morning. Let us jump right in. Here's how your money is setting up its Monday futures. They are in the red. Unfortunately, we are seeing Dow futures down about 90 points right now. Not a huge drop. In fact, fair value, you can see, is a bit in the green. So not quite a toss-up, leaning a little more negative, still not too bad. The overall, and probably why you're here, right, is to see if this solid run for stocks can keep going in April. The NASDAQ 100 is up nearly 6% just this month. The S&P 500 up about 4%. And we have some very good market stats coming up for you in the RBI in just a bit. Let's check some other classes like bond yields. That that has been really one of the movers and the shift from growth to value, the the great rotation, if you will. And we are seeing 10-year yields actually tick down a bit, back down to 1.66%. Well, around the world, a mostly lower night in Asia. China down about 1%. And in Europe, They are just getting their trading day going. They are, again, like us and our futures, mostly in the red. But they are at least finally starting to get the mainland Europe vaccination programs up to some kind of speed and pace. We'll see if that helps turn things around. Germany, by the way, just did turn around. It is slightly in the green. And that is where we begin our week across the Atlantic. Because today is the first day that small businesses in England are allowed to reopen, all part of Boris Johnson's roadmap to recovery. Juliana Tattlebaum is live on the streets of London. We call it the Tattlebaum Index. And she joins us now with, with (laughs) I guess, the mood and the feel of being able to just go out to a small shop once again, Juliana. 
Well, Brian, it's not just small shops. Today marks a major milestone in the U.K.'s emergence from our third national lockdown. Starting today, for the first time since December, pubs and restaurants will be able to offer outdoor dining and non-essential retail is able to reopen. So for the last three and a half months, the only places we were really allowed to go were pharmacies and supermarkets. But all of that changes today. Of course, we still have a lot of restrictions in place when it comes to crowd control. So we have to continue wearing masks in doors in these shops and maintain social distancing. But huge changes taking place today. Also starting today, we're able to take domestic holidays and stay in self-catering accommodation, but still international travel is forbidden. The earliest that that may resume is mid-May. Now, all of this, of course, was made possible because COVID case numbers have come down significantly here in the United Kingdom. We are on Saturday recorded just over 2,500 new COVID cases. That's down to about a sixth of where we were during the January peak. Meanwhile, the vaccination rollout has been going full steam ahead with more than half of all UK adults now given at least one dose of the vaccine. So as we reopen today and people get going and make their way potentially to where I'm standing right now, Covent Garden in central London, the hope is that people will feel a little bit safer, a little more comfortable, and also reassured that this should be our final lockdown, this third one that we're now emerging from, Brian. Yeah, you know, and, and that is fantastic news. The U.K., by the way, the most vaccinated large country in terms of a percent of its population, a couple smaller ones like Israel, Bahrain, the UAE, they're above it. But you guys have done overall an excellent job with the vaccination rollout. Thank goodness. We know cases are still going to pop. Everybody knows that. you got to look at outcomes. Fatalities down 43 percent. And I know, Juliana, I hate the term. I cannot stand the term herd immunity because it's taken on a political tone. Everybody's kind of a, a closet scientist these days. But there is some talk that that key threshold between vaccinations and natural exposed immunity, which Dr. Fauci finally began talking about a couple of days ago, that combination may be getting close to being approached in the UK. You know what I talk about. What are people saying? What is the media saying about this? I guess, rather sensitive issue. Mm. Well, definitely a sensitive issue, Brian, and I think fairly controversial when it comes to what models, what estimates to rely on. Uh, last week, we did have a publication from UCL, one of the leading universities in the UK, talk about the potential for herd immunity being imminent when you combine the vaccinations that have taken place with the fact that uh, so many Britons were infected with COVID naturally last year and in the early part of this year. But of course, a lot depends on how effective these vaccines actually are and whether or not any new variants emerge. So I think there still are a number of open questions, and that is part of why the UK has been particularly cautious when it comes to international travel and reopening its borders, because they want to try to protect the immunity that we have. And so it is happening in a very staged way. And as I mentioned, when it comes to international travel and reopening the borders in a meaningful way, the earliest that could happen is May. And even then, it's not a definite. All right. But at least today, a good day in the UK. More businesses, aside from pharmacies and groceries, allowed to reopen as well. Deaths down 43 percent. The best news of all. Juliana Tattlebaum, it's good to see you out and about. That's our Tattlebaum Index right there in the UK. Juliana, thank you very much. All right. Let's get a check on some of this morning's other top headlines as well. Bertha Coombs is out and about and joining us now with those, Bertha. 
Yeah, usually not out and about this hour, but uh, good morning, Brian. Companies from PayPal and Hess to T. Rowe Price and AMC are signaling that they will support joining efforts to push back on new restrictive voting laws being debated around the country. According to multiple reports, including CNBC, dozens of CEOs met on Zoom over the weekend to lay out their next plan of attack on the issue with a statement expected as soon as this week and would add to the letter already signed by 72 black executives in the wake of actions by Georgia Governor Brian Kemp. Johnson & Johnson is scaling back shipments of its single-dose COVID-19 vaccine by 86% as it continues to work through supply shocks linked to that troubled manufacturing plant in Baltimore. The government has allocated only 700,000 J&J shots to states next week. That's down from nearly 5 million the week prior, according to data from the CDC. And Fed Chairman Jay Powell speaking out about the Archegos stock scandal for the first time. Talking with CBS's 60 Minutes, Powell says the events surrounding Archegos do not raise questions about the stability of the financial system or the institutions involved in the way that led to the 2008 financial crisis. Powell adding his team is looking into the situation. It was a it was a risk management breakdown and one that we're looking very uh, carefully at uh, to try to make sure it doesn't happen again. Yeah, Brian, and you know, 60 minutes on late last night because of the Masters. That was an amazing nail-biter finish there. I was so worried for Matsumuya. Yeah, and uh, he pulled through certainly as well. We'll get more on that in just a bit. And the Fed chair commenting on the markets, even uh, hedge fund trades now. Bertha Coombs, thank you. We'll see you in just yeah. a bit. All right. When we come back, we're going to party like it's... 1995. Some big new stats that market bulls, all you out there, you're going to love. And our market stats infrastructure, we'll dive into the Democrats' plan and why that word now has such a broad definition. We'll talk about that and how much your taxes may be going up. Later on, why a shortage of one very key technology is starting to be seen as a full-blown corporate crisis. We're back after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back and good Monday morning. Well, before we welcome back one of our favorite guests, we want to show you 
This pretty cool stock market stat, and it comes from our friend Ryan Dietrich of LPL Financial. The S&P 500 is now up 5% or more four quarters in a row. Now, that does not happen that much. In fact, it's only happened four times previously ever, and it's usually a pretty positive sign for stocks ahead. Here's what Ryan found at the other quarters after the S&P 500 rose 5% for basically a year straight. In the third quarter of 1954, the S&P 500 then jumped 35%. The fourth quarter of 1958, that would be the fifth quarter it happened, up 8.5%. Got to go all the way to 1982 till it happened again. And, well, that was not good in 83, rather. Markets fell 9%. But the fourth previous time this happened was the fourth quarter, 1994, and we were back in the black with the S&P 500 rising 20.2%. So three of the previous four times the S&P 500 has gained 5% or more, four quarters in a row, we've effectively had an average gain, if you average all those out, of about 13% in the next quarter after that. Let's find out what Victoria Fernandez of Crossmark Global Investors makes of all these numbers 4.15 her time. Victoria, thank you very much for joining us live from Central Time. We threw a lot of numbers. It's really, you got to wake up early to watch this show and have the coffee because we just dumped the numbers on you. Listen, the trend, very positive, but does history matter? Well, normally I would say yes, and historically this sets us up pretty well, but I mean, we hate the phrase that this time is different, but we know that the recession and the recovery that we've seen because of the pandemic has put us in a different situation. But I think we have quite a few tailwinds setting us up to have a positive quarter and a positive rest of 2021. Obviously, we have a very accommodative Fed. And, it, you know, Brian, I think it's something we're not used to. Typically, we have a Federal Reserve that kind of skates to where the puck is going to go and is preemptive on raising rates. Right now, we have a Fed that is basically saying, we're just going to sit back and see where the puck goes, and then we'll meander our way over there when we're ready. So we have a Fed that's accommodative. We have a consumer with pent-up demand and funds to back that up from the stimulus checks, from historically high savings rates. And if the Fed is correct, we have inflation that even though we'll have a temporary rise is gonna be low over the longer term. These are all strong tailwinds to help the uh, market do well for the rest of 2021. So I think we're set up pretty good here. Yeah, yeah. listen, it's too early for snark, but I will say I kind of poked fun a little bit at the Fed chair last night, he, you know, on Twitter because he went out and he said to 60 Minutes basically, um, when the pandemic ends and if we throw a few trillion dollars at the economy, things should improve. Not exactly sure that's, that's breaking news there, but, but his point is well taken. He is exceptionally dovish. If there was something more dovish than a dove, that might be him. Should your clients and our viewers kind of feel comforted by the fact that it appears that our central banks and many others, by the way, around the world have zero intention of allowing anything financially negative to occur? Well, I think the market is not comfortable with it right now. And it's why we've seen some of the volatility that we have over the past few weeks. The market is a little concerned that the Federal Reserve is going to wait too long, that they're going to get behind that curve. 
when it comes to inflation, but they are sticking to their guns that this is going to be temporary, that it's base effects, that it's supply chain issues um, that are causing this. We had PPI last week that was higher than expected. We get CPI tomorrow. We have a lot of data getting thrown at us this week. And the problem is a lot of what we've seen in the market has been based on the soft data and the optimism, and we need the hard data to back it up. So let's see if we get it. We have retail sales this week. We also have auctions this week. We know that seven-year auction a month or so ago really caused yields to move higher. So we'll be watching the auctions closely this week to see what happens. But I do think the Fed has a pretty good grasp at this point in time and, again, sets us up well for the coming quarters. Making me feel bad, Victoria, because a couple of weeks ago on our RBI, we were talking about Cisco Systems being this red-hot stock, and then I see that You've apparently sold Cisco systems and are buying NVIDIA. Is that because of our RBI? (laughs) Not because of the RBI. um, But what we've been doing is using the pullbacks to really kind of what we call upgrade our portfolio. So we sold Cisco and went into NVIDIA. We like that semi-space. We bought Broadcom as well. Um, So we like those names and the potential that they have going forward. I will tell you another name, Brian, that we like right now is Adobe. These are not some of the the sexier names um, like Adobe in the market right now, but that secular growth and the potential that they have with web design, photo and video production. We think there's a lot of growth potential there. So we like that sector. We like those names going forward. Okay, it's not just, hey, they, they, Sullivan featured that. Whatever they feature, you sell. That's that's not how it works. Not that, I promise. Victoria Fernandez, by the way, in the office, 420 or whatever it is in the morning in Houston, working hard for your clients. Victoria, always great to see you. Have a great rest of your week. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Brian. All right, on deck. Can you hear me now? Microsoft reportedly ready to pay big bucks for a speech recognition and healthcare company. That stock is flying in the pre-market. We will show you the name. Plus, speaking of, your morning RBI will put the fun back in fund flows. Is that even a thing? Either way, you're going to love this stat, Market Bulls, all coming up. Dow Futures down 90, but we're back on a Monday right after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. We'll call it the software king's speech. China cracking down on Baba and why Ford and VW are breathing just a sigh of relief today. Those are some of your big money movers, and let's, let's hit them. First up, Microsoft. Sources telling CNBC the company's in advanced talks to buy Nuance Communications for about $16 billion. Nuance makes voice recognition software, among many other things. Microsoft will reportedly pay 56 bucks a share, a 23% premium to Friday's closing price. That stock is flying up 19% right now. Next up, Alibaba, company not expecting any material impact from a record $2.8 billion antitrust fine by Chinese regulators. Beijing wants Baba to stop requiring merchants to choose 
between doing business with it or other rival platforms. Shares up more than 6% in Hong Kong today, the penalty perhaps lighter than some expected. And finally, LG Chem and SK Innovation. Shares of these South Korean companies are up after they settled a dispute over battery technology for electric cars. Their fight had threatened a $2 billion plant that SK is building in Georgia that will supply Ford and VW with EV batteries. That's why they're breathing a sigh of relief. All right, let's get a check on some of this morning's other top headlines outside of the world of money and business. BC's Francis Rivera is here now with that. Good morning, Francis. Hi, Brian. Good morning. We start with unrest on the streets of Minnesota once again. The National Guard is being mobilized as police confront hundreds of protesters and appear to use tear gas in Brooklyn Center, which is a suburb of Minneapolis. The neighboring police department in Brooklyn Park is reporting that their front door was shattered by gunfire and businesses were looted. This new outrage erupted after a man was shot and killed by police about 10 miles from where George Floyd died. Officials say a driver was pulled over for a traffic violation violation and officers discovered he had an arrest warrant. Police said the man then re-entered his car as they tried to arrest him and one officer fired their gun. Iran is calling a blackout at an underground atomic facility, quote, nuclear terrorism. Two intelligence officials told the New York Times the explosion at the Natanz nuclear facility destroyed an internal power system and that it appears to be Israeli sabotage. It could take up to nine months to get production back online. And history at Augusta National. It was the first of the Masters as Hideki Matsuyama tapped the final putt to cap off two strong final rounds there, finishing 10 under par by winning the Masters by one stroke. Matsuyama is the first Japanese-born man to ever win a major golf tournament. Last year, the winner, Dustin Johnson, presented the new Masters champion with the first green jacket of his career. For Monday morning, Brian, those are your headlines. Yeah, and congratulations to him. And by the way, I watched a, a tiny bit of it. Mm-hmm. Thousands of fans lining the fairway. It kind of felt a little normal. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit normal. Right. Some masks, some without, but at least the feeling is there. We might be right on track. Yeah, we'll see. It, it felt normal for them, not for us, certainly here in the yeah. Northeast. France Rivera, thank you very much. And luckily outside, and, and uh, hopefully everybody's going to be all right. All right, on deck. Damage control in Beijing after China's lead scientists admit its COVID-19 vaccine may actually not work like they said it would. Plus, more than just environmentally friendly, B of A Savita Subramanian is here on the evolution of ESG, the growing role it's likely to have, and how you can profit from it. And if you have not already, subscribe to our podcast. If you missed the show or you're out west or, I don't know, in Guam, check us out on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and other podcasting apps. We'll be right back after this. Bitcoin up nearly a thousand bucks to sixty thousand six hundred. Stick around. All right, welcome back. April being showered with stock buyers and big time new money. Can a nearly record start to the month roll on? We'll show you the cash flow stat you may not believe. President Biden meeting with congressional leaders to keep the heat on for the Democrats' two-plus trillion-dollar spending package. So what exactly is actually in that long-time spending wish list? Pimco's Libby Cantrell is here to break it all down. And put John and Ponch on the case because there's a chips crisis that is crushing American supply chains and even has the White House 
taking notice. It is Monday, April 12th, and this is Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome or welcome back and good Monday morning, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. Thank you for joining us. Well, here's how your money and investments look as we are not quite but close to halfway through the 5 a.m. hour. Stock futures, okay, they're in the red. The Dow futures are down 78, but fair value is actually in the green. Remember, slight difference in some cases between cash markets, etc. We are seeing the implied open down, but that is less than we were. So we'll have to see how this thing sort of shakes out. Now, it's been a great start to the month. All the major averages are up at least 2.5% or more in April. Now, volume was low last week. We get it. But that aside, it was still a very nice week technically. Here's why I say that. We opened on our lows on Monday and gapped higher and then closed at our highs on Friday. Very nice technical setup. The breadth of the market was very good. 75% of S&P 500 stocks rose last week. And we don't talk about it a lot, but maybe we should. The cumulative advanced decline line. How about that? Also hitting an all-time high on Friday, according to Instanet. So a lot of very positive technical momentum in the market right now. It is not just stocks seeing big buying interest either. Crypto continues on its tear. Ethereum up 16% so far in the month of April as well. Bitcoin, $60,700. In fact, if you look across the board, really the only thing down so far in April is fear. The VIX is down 14% in just a couple of trading days. It is now lower than the level it was before the pandemic hit. Look at the CBOE volatility index. 17 and a half. All right, now to the latest in the global vaccine race and China mulling some new steps in its renewed fight against COVID. Bertha is back with that. Some of this morning's other top headlines. Bertha. Good morning, Brian. Yeah, officials in China are reportedly considering mixing COVID vaccines in a boost to, in a bid to boost their effectiveness. According to reports, the director of China's Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says that country's current roster of treatments don't have very high rates of protection. That was a quote, but he later said his comments were misconstrued. Meantime, a key vaccine in that rollout has been found to be less potent than other treatments. A study out over the weekend detailing the late-stage testing of Sinovac's vaccine in Brazil confirmed initial findings that showed the efficacy at slightly above 50%. Apple agreeing to make a senior executive available for testimony before the Senate on antitrust concerns involving its app store. In a letter to senators, the tech giant says Chief Compliance Officer Kyle Andier will be available to testify at the April 21st Judiciary Committee hearing. Apple has faced criticism over its app store's mandatory revenue sharing payments and strict inclusion rules. And Warner Brothers' Godzilla vs. Kong remains the king of the box office.
office. The monster movie pulling in another $13 million in its second weekend in theaters, pushing its domestic haul up to nearly $70 million. And it is now the top grossing film of the pandemic era, bypassing Christopher Nolan's Tenet, which earned more than $58 million. Wow, it's really interesting comparisons, Brian, right? Normally a $58 million haul the first weekend in normal times wouldn't seem like very much at all. Uh, I, I didn't see it. Who's the good guy? Is Kong the good guy or is Godzilla <laughs> the good guy? Do you, who wins? I don't know. I don't know. I guess, I guess there must be hashtags for Team Godzilla, Team, team Kong. I haven't seen it yet yeah, either. Moth- I don't want any spoilers Mothra either. Mothra and Gamera. There's got to be a... Yeah, we got we to... <laughs> this is where we are right now, Bertha. This is where we are. Bertha Coombs. We'll see you in a bit. Thank you. All right. Let's kick off this half hour with a more serious question. What is or what isn't infrastructure? You may never have wondered or even cared about the definition of that before, but the president is now pitching you, the American people, Congress and taxpayers on a more than two plus trillion dollar plan that would in some ways greatly expand the meaning of the term infrastructure. The bill would include a few hundred billion for things we think about roads and bridges and broadband, which should have a ton of bipartisan support. But the plan also includes a list that some say stretches the definition, maybe a bridge too far, like free community college and home health care. The bill would also quietly include a rollback of right-to-work laws in many states, something that unions have been trying to get passed for decades. Now, to pay for some of this plan, President also wants to raise corporate taxes back to 28% and raise income taxes on upper-income households and individuals. Let's talk more about all of this and bring in Libby Cantrill. She is PIMCO's head of public policy and managing director. Libby, thank you very much for joining us once again a lot of this stuff, you and I have been doing this a long time. A lot of this stuff is stuff that, and listen, with all due respect to any political party, nobody's slapping together a thousand page spending bill in a couple of months. A lot of this stuff has been around for a long time, particularly on the infrastructure side. Is this kind of, for good or bad, whatever your political views are out there viewing, the, the, sort of the, the be all end all wish list for many of the Democrats? Yeah, well, good morning, Brian. Um, well, just remember, this is only phase one of the uh, of President Biden's proposed infrastructure effort. Um, this, as you mentioned, includes uh, things that we do traditionally think of infrastructure, uh, kind of hard infrastructure, uh, bridges, roads, tunnels, what have you. Uh, but then, as you point out, it includes many other things, uh, elder care, uh, workforce training, you know, tax incentives for, for domestic manufacturing. Um, so, so in this bill, are there, you know, many uh, democratic priorities, many pro-union priorities for sure. But I would just say this is in some ways just a preview uh, of, of a broader set of democratic priorities that will come in this sort of second proposal, which should be forthcoming over the next you know, few weeks or so. But as you very much rightly point out, uh, Congress is going to actually be you know, doing the, the legislating here. And so in some ways, you know, President Biden is providing a framework of his own priorities. And sure, are they representative of broader priorities of the Democratic Party? Absolutely. But, and big but here, he's also trying to navigate incredibly 
narrow majorities in both the House and the Senate. So you know, our view at PIMCO is that this will be very iterative and likely will be watered down in sort of the, in the final uh, the final bill. So what yeah. you see as a proposal is is not necessarily likely all going to manifest into form. Ultimately, Libby, do you think this gets passed? We think something gets passed for sure. Uh, you know, we think that it probably does sort of balance towards more of the the harder infrastructure than some of these other things that have been have been proposed. Um, you know, our view is that we, we see a two-ish trillion dollar bill kind of signed into law by by the fall that would include some sort of tax increases. So that's not necessarily a net impulse, kind of the net impulse to the economy is somewhere between one and a one and a half. But we also need to uh, be humble here, and this is all sort of you know, speculative. We'll sort of see how the machinations over the next few months go. And that's what we're really talking about. Like we should just, investors in the market should just realize that this will not be like the COVID yeah. relief, which was proposed and then signed into law shortly thereafter, sort of a six weeks, uh, very expedited time frame. This will take, you know, months. And so fall is a likely time frame. Yeah. And the pre- listen, the president is very, listen, he's been in Congress since literally I was one year old, 1972. <laughs> he's been doing this a long time. He knows how to work it, right? And he is rightfully, I think, selling this as a paid for by corporate tax increases. Now, the CNBC viewer knows that's not possible. Corporate tax increases are less than 15% of federal tax revenues. So given that, Libby, this is mostly, do you think, going to ultimately be a a deficit spending plan? In other words, paid for by debt for the majority? Or is there some magic way that corporations and and high-income individuals, about two and a half million people, would probably fall under that $400,000 filing, $200,000 for individuals? Can, Can that actually pay for it? Yeah, so I mean, I think we need to reserve. We need to reserve judgment. Honestly, I, I think it really is predicated on how some of these meetings go over the next few weeks with Republicans. Um, you know, President Biden, as you point out, uh, has been in Congress for a very long time, for the whole duration of my life, Brian. Uh, in case you were wondering, um, and and you know, I think he he rightfully, understandably knows that including corporate tax increases here is a total poison pill for Republicans. It, it it is, it's impossible almost for Republicans to vote for something that includes increases uh, to the corporate tax rate. Um, so, I, you know, I think we'll, we'll see if they end up being included in sort of the ultimate iteration, but it will really be predicated on whether he decides that he really does want to work with Republicans. Um, if he doesn't, yeah. then corporate tax increases will be included. Just to your question, though, really quickly, you know, what he's proposing to do is really expand the international corporate tax regime. So you're right that the corporate tax rate increasing, that won't raise as much revenue as he's seeking to raise, but it is this is a much more broad international tax scheme uh, and there's real revenue associated with it. So again, I'm a little bit skeptical that will, that will be included in the ultimate iteration, but yeah. um, it's a revenue raiser for sure. Well, it's going to be fascinating to watch this legislative fight to come over the next couple of weeks and months. Laying it out greatly, as always, Libby Cantrilla, Pimco. Libby, a pleasure to have you back on. Have a great day. Thank you. That's fine. Well, it is not just that spending plan on the president's to-do list. Today, he will pivot his attention to the growing global semiconductor shortage that is hampering a number of American industries. He is set to meet with executives from nearly 20 major companies like 
Ford, GM, Intel, and Taiwan Semi. CBC senior White House correspondent Kayla Tausche has a look at what we can expect from that meeting. Kayla, good morning. Good morning, Brian. Those companies will have an audience with top commerce and national security officials today as they try to make the case that the U.S. can capture a growing share of the chip-making market with global demand set to explode as more traditional consumer goods go higher tech. But the major major hurdle here in the United States is trying to match lucrative incentives from overseas that have driven the cost of building these so-called fabs or factories to about 25 to 50 percent higher here in the U.S. than in other countries. For instance, China, South Korea, and Taiwan have a five-year tax holiday and other incentives like discounted land, equipment leasing, preferential loans, in addition to direct grants. And as a result, their market share is growing while the U.S. is, is decreasing. But Boston Consulting Group estimates that just a $50 billion investment from the U.S. could reverse that, drawing investment for as many as 19 new fabs creating 70,000 jobs and capturing potentially a quarter of this new manufacturing capacity over the next 10 years. 18 states already have this chip capacity. There are clusters springing up in Portland, Oregon, Dallas and Austin, Texas, where Texas Instruments is building, and Phoenix, Arizona, where Taiwan Semi and Intel are building. Samsung is currently searching for a location, uh, and their plans are as yet unannounced so far. There is underway a review that the National Security Council is set to be preparing a report for President Biden by a June 4th deadline to try to put together some recommendations to address this shortage. And today's conversation is going to be informing that report. Brian, there's also a part of that infrastructure bill you were just discussing that deals with research and development and manufacturing capacity. So it could perhaps help shape some of these legislative discussions as well. Brian. What can they do? What are some of the ways they might be able to mitigate this, Kayla? Well, I think direct government funding is possibly the clearest way, and that's something that the industry has been arguing for for the better part of the last decade. There were conversations under the Trump administration that took a similar shape as well. They really wanted to onshore some of this manufacturing capacity, but the incentive hurdles were simply too high. There really wasn't demand in a, in a vehicle, frankly, uh, to actually convince Congress uh, to spend tens of billions of dollars to incentivize these companies. And there also perhaps wasn't public opinion uh, to to argue that this industry needed funding over other industries, especially during the global pandemic. But now that there is this acute shortage in people who want cars, fridges, other types of consumer goods that use these chips now, if you can't get one of those, perhaps that public opinion is shifting now. Yeah, it's starting to realize that semiconductors are pretty much in every single thing, at least Anything we Everything. don't eat. And maybe some of that. Kayla Tausche, thank you very much. A big story. Chips and chips. Who oh, no. knows? Right, anyway. All right, it's enough to ruffle your feathers. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, the latest in the vaccine rollout in America and the new move one drug maker is looking to do to help make the fight against COVID even stronger. But first, as we head to break, some of your other top stories this Monday morning. Take your bleeping time off. The Wall Street Journal says that PwC, the old Price Waterhouse, is offering U.S. employees 250 bucks for every full week of vacation they book up to $1,000 a year. The plan could cost the company millions, but they say they don't care. They've exhausted every other attempt to get their people to disconnect from the office, 
over the past year. Hey, if you're working from home, remember, you're sleeping in the office. CEO pay climbing nearly 15% last year despite historic business challenges and massive jumps in unemployment. That according to the Wall Street Journal. Median pay for CEOs of more than the 300 biggest U.S. public companies reached $13.7 million, up from $12.8 million the year before. And amid the crypto boom, Fed Chair Jay Powell says it is possible the U.S. gets its own digital dollar. Speaking on the matter on 60 Minutes last night, Powell stressed there are still many considerations in potentially making that kind of a bold move. You've seen many other countries like ours, well-off countries like ours, that are looking at it seriously. In some of those countries, the use of cash has declined precipitously. That is not the case here. Americans still like to use cash. So it's, it's something that will be decided based on the situation here in the United States. All right, welcome back. Well, big news in the continued fight against COVID-19, and this one has nothing to do with vaccines. Regeneron today says it will ask the FDA to allow its COVID-19 antibody therapy to be used as a preventative treatment. Therapy has already been authorized to treat adults and some kids as young as 12 with mild to moderate COVID-19 symptoms. This new request comes after a key phase three clinical trial, which found the drug reduced the risk of symptomatic infections in individuals by 81%. That is great news. And a reminder, by the way, a good reminder that our treatments have also gotten a lot better over the last couple of months, not just prevention. Well, all this as America does break another vaccination record over the weekend. In all, more than 4.6 million people got their jabs, a new record, and more than 500,000 more than the old record set just, you know, one week ago. All right, on deck. Your morning RBI and the massive figure on just how much new money has come into global markets in the last couple of months. Trust me, this one is going to get your eyes open. And a programming note, be sure to tune in to our new technology show. It's called Tech Check. Launches today at 11 a.m. Eastern time with a great guest lineup. We're back after this. Well, the RBI is back. The most random but interesting thing you're going to hear all day. Well, CNBC style, of course. And this one is right up CNBC's fairway because, honestly, this random stat seems kind of hard to believe. But it comes from Bank of America, so we're going to believe it. Do you wonder why stocks rose in price the last couple of months pretty much everywhere despite a still raging pandemic? Well, it's because of this. In the past five months... $569 billion was put into stock markets around the world. That's $117 billion more than went into global stocks over the past 12 years. You heard that right. More money coming in in five months than the previous 144 months combined. $569 versus just $452. Remember, despite us trying to be all smart and stuff, Stocks go up when there are more buyers than sellers, or buyers simply want something more than they did before. And when you throw this much cold, hard cash at an asset class that has shrunk in size, at least in the U.S. over the last couple of years because of deals and buybacks, what do you think is going to happen? Still pretty incredible numbers there from B of A. So if your 401k or IRA is up, maybe thank a central banker from a 
Safe social distance, of course. Random and hopefully interesting. Well, let's stay right on that topic and where the money is really going. Savita Subramanian is head of U.S. equity and quantitative strategy and head of ESG research at the aforementioned Bank of America, this B of A Securities. Savita, welcome. I, I, I know that data didn't Thanks. come from your group, or at least I don't, I don't think it did, but it is, that's stunning. I mean, where's the it money coming staggering. from? Well, you said it, central banks. I mean, the liquidity pump is, has been primed and is alive and well. So I think that's the tension is we have this you know, massive liquidity influx that's driving up these valuations of the S&P to close to never before seen levels, especially in many of the, um, you know, in the single stocks. And, and the question is, what happens next? So, you know, we, we obviously have our views that I would love to share with you. I think it gets a little bit harder to make alpha from here. And it gets a little bit harder to just gain returns from owning the index from here. Okay, so if it, if it getting, gets right now, you could throw a dart. You probably made a stock that went up, but <laughs> that's where folks like you come in, Savita. Yes. Where do you see the money then being made if it does get more difficult? So I think it's going to be a very differentiated market going forward. And it already has been to some extent. If you look at this year, even, um, you've seen a massive bifurcation between value and cyclicals, which have done really well, versus growth and tech, which haven't necessarily done as well. I think that trend continues. Um, you know, a lot of our work is pointing to the fact that we're seeing a massive earnings recovery but it's really focused in, in some of the smaller sectors within the S&P 500. So, you know, technology stocks might actually see a bit of a deceleration in earnings, whereas, you know, materials, energy, industrial, some of these CapEx beneficiaries or, you know, what we like to call you know, these old economy stocks might actually do a lot better going forward. But the problem for the S&P 500 is that there are much smaller weights in the index so it's harder for these sectors to really drive those types of outsized returns that we've seen over the last 10 years, um, you know, where the leadership has been more in, in tech and growth. So, you know, I think this earnings season is going to be a very interesting period where we're going to hear from companies what their outlook is for the next 12 to 24 months. You know, my sense is we're going to see a big earnings beat this quarter. But I think that's already priced into the market. You know, we, we saw these outsized inflows into stocks. So I think the real question is, what are companies going to be telling us about the future? Is it going to be a lot better than what we're expecting or maybe a little bit worse? So those are those are the areas that we want to focus on. Uh, you know, this, what do you, this what do you need season. to hear? We got some banks coming out this, later on this week. Savita, what do you need to hear? Yeah, I think we need to hear that, you know, inflationary pressures are not are not necessarily crimping uh, margins yet. And I think that so far, so good. But we're starting to hear a lot of our analysts tell us that labor pressure, um, input cost pressure is starting to really creep up for a lot of these companies. And this is a theme we haven't seen in a long time. Inflation is not a worry that we've had over the last decade. So I think that's one thing to watch and to listen for. Um, you know, I also think that it's interesting to hear a lot more companies are spending on CapEx to, you know, onshore their operations. But what this means is that they might be spending less on buybacks, which is another theme that we've gotten very used to over the last 10 years. You know, an extra 2% earnings growth from buybacks, that might be a thing of the past um, you know, over the next few years where we see different claims on cash of corporations. Yeah, and uh, it, it may get a little more challenging from here on out. Savita Subramanian, 
of B of A Security. Savita, amazing stats, by the way. Whoever at B of A put that together, we, they, they made our RBI. So please show that to them <laughs> later today. Savita, thank you. Isn't that amazing, folks? More money into global stocks in the last five months than the previous 12 years combined. We'll just kind of leave you with that to ponder over in your noodle. I'll see you on the 1 o'clock show today, The Exchange. Otherwise, we'll see you tomorrow morning right here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box the gang will pick it all up next. Have a great day and a good start to your week. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.